back in the 90s, it's not when I was a child, but it's when my children were, were children, my boys, uh, back in the 90s, uh, I was trying to find some way to teach my sons scripture. And I, I came across a cassette. Does that tell you how long ago it was? Y'all remember cassettes, you know, that replaced eight, y'all remember eight tracks? Y'all remember that? Takes you way back, don't it? By the way, if anybody wants an eight-track player, I still have mine. I'll be glad to sell it to you. It's now an antique worth about ten times what I paid for it. All right, here we go. Uh, no, but uh, we, we, I came across a cassette, which was simply uh, scripture that had been placed to music. And this was one of the uh, songs that was on that cassette, and I would play it in the car with my boys in there, and I just loved the theme, uh, uh, the song. Uh, I loved the tune of it. It's kind of a reggae-type tune, and, and it just really speaks. And, of course, I love the verse as well, which speaks into our lesson today. Now, let's, let's go back in time just a little bit. The year is 1972, and uh, an author is writing a book in fact, she had been writing it a couple of years prior to that. It was published in 1972. And uh, she was writing children's books. She had three boys herself, and she thought it would be neat to try to, you know, write some little children's book that would teach some very important lessons she wanted her kids to know. And so in 1972, this book came out. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day by Judith Viorst. Uh, how many of you have heard of it? Okay, a lot of, yeah, probably most of us have. How many of you have seen the movie? Have you seen the movie? It's actually a movie that came out. I didn't know it. John Micah said, you did see the movie, right? And I'm like, no, I haven't seen the movie. Uh, but anyway, there's a movie actually based on this uh, book as well. But Alexander is actually Judith Viorst's youngest son of the three. And, and when he was four years old, she read the book to him. And Alexander said, Mom, 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 no, I don't want you to name the book. Why does it have to be about me? Which is very appropriate since the title is this one. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, Judith said, Alexander, this way everybody will know you. Well, Alexander is now in his late 50s, early 60s, and of course, everybody who knows him knows the book his mother wrote. She went on to write about uh, five other books based on kind of the same theme for children. Now, here's the way the, the, basically the book goes. If you've never read it, very short little children's book. It begins with Alexander getting up. He's in kindergarten, and he says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth. And now there's gum in my hair. Can you relate to that? He says, and when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell that it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Now, as he goes through the book, he'll say that just every other time something happens to him, and, and he'll add to this statement, I think I'll move to Australia, as if that will fix the problem. I love the way the story goes on. He goes for breakfast. These are actually his other two brothers' names. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. And Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. Have you ever been there? 
I mean, how many of y'all remember the old Cracker Jacks? Y'all remember Cracker Jacks? Man, that was one of my favorite uh, uh, little kind of things to eat when I was a kid growing up. The only problem is I had an older brother, I had a younger brother. They would come in three-box packages, and somehow they always got better toys and theirs than I did. You know, I can relate to Alexander. He goes on several different events. He gets to school, and at lunchtime, notice this one. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag. This was uh, uh, our song leader's older brother here. And, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on uh, the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? You know, I think I'm going to have a hor- terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Well, he gets out of school, he goes to the dentist, and guess who's the only one with a, cav- a cavity? You know, and the dentist says, you come back next week and, and we'll fill that cavity. And he says, I think I'm going to move to Australia. And then he goes home, and I love what he says when he gets home. There were lima beans for dinner. I hate lima beans. And there was kissing on TV. I hate kissing. He then goes to the bath, take his bath, and the bath water is too hot. He gets soap in his eyes. His marble goes down the tub drain. He then has to wear his, his tra- uh, train uh, pajamas. He hates his train pajamas. He finally gets in bed and he says, I think I'm going to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And mom says, some days are like that, even in Australia. The book of Job tells basically the same story, just not in children's version. And so does the life of David. David is going to find himself in today's text in 1 Samuel where if he had known the phrase, I'm sure he would have been muttering in Hebrew somehow, I think I'm having a terrible, horrible, you know, no good, very bad day. David, in our text today, follows up after an incredible, fantastic start to his life. I mean, he had been anointed by the great prophet Samuel. You see it up there in the left-hand corner. He had, he had been brought into King Saul's service as a liar player. And of course, shortly after that, he goes out and he kills Goliath. And after killing Goliath all at once, he is projected into the very top echelon of Israelite society. He gets command of his own military unit. He marries the king, Saul's youngest daughter, and life looks great. And then something happens. Two weeks ago, we looked at how that as he is trying to figure out what to do after this bad thing happens, he goes to the tabernacle, and the end result is 85 priests and an entire village gets wiped out. We looked last week as John Micah went to the psalm that described that, about this chief shepherd named Doeg that he saw there that ended up being one of the most wicked men in all the Bible. But then we come to an incident in David's life that Psalm 34 is written about. 
What's fascinating is, is there's actually two psalms among the 150. Think about that. Out of 150 songs, two of them are dedicated to the event we're going to look at today. Now, you see a picture of at least a movie of David in this particular situation. And if he looks kind of crazy right here, it's because he's in a situation where the only thing that's going to help him is crazy in God. Now, to understand the text, we need to go back and we need to begin at a very different point in time. Uh, you, you have this song, 1 Samuel 19. It's where David has now gotten to kind of the peak of, of his, his popularity. He and Saul and the army had gone out. Once again, his unit was, was very victorious. And as they're coming back to Gibeah, the capital, all at once all the young women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet them. And of course they're singing the song. Have you ever had a song that you got in your mind and you couldn't get it out? Blake, I hate when that happens. I mean, it just plays over and over, especially if you go to bed and it's still there. I mean, you can't go to sleep. And if there was ever a song that got in someone's head, it was this song that got in Saul's head. Notice the words here. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And boy, when Saul heard that, I mean, the hair on the back of his neck went up. And the text says that from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. That old green-eyed monster that we call jealousy all at once began to fill his heart. And from then on, Saul couldn't see anything good in David. David's married his daughter, Michal. I mean, David is just, just shooting up as God is lifting him up as he brings Saul down. And so finally, after one more incredible victory, and I'm sure the singing was going on again, finally Saul had had enough. And he just basically said, I want him dead. Whatever it takes, I want him dead. And thus began David's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And you got to just kind of let it build up. Because you want to talk about everything in David's life coming apart. It came apart in a space of a few days. And all at once, David's kind of like, okay, what do I do now? The first thing we've already looked at, McCall finds out that her dad's going to have David executed. She goes to their apartment. She says, you've got to get out now. And so she lures him out of the window. David escapes. But what most of us don't realize is that when he escaped that day, something very horrible was going to happen between him and McCall. You see, McCall, probably at this time, maybe 17, 18 years old, she and David had only been married probably a year, if that long. She loves him. She is absolutely enamored by him. And so when she lures him out of the window and lies to her own father, she's saying, I've saved my husband. But what she didn't realize was just how evil Saul, her dad, was. You see, most of us don't realize it. Can you imagine being married for maybe less than a year? And, and I don't know what David felt about McCall at this time. I suspect he loved her, even though most marriages back then were planned marriages. You didn't get married because you loved someone. You got married because it was a, to your political advantage. And that had been the case here. 
But what's amazing is what Saul does to David. I mean, most of us notice this is chapter 19. You go over to chapter 25, but Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Paltiel, son of Laish, who was from Gollum. I mean, can you imagine getting word that the woman you had married, your first wife, is now married to someone else because Saul is getting back at you? They would eventually come back together again. I don't know what happened to Patiel uh, in, the, in, in the process, but they would come back together again. But ne- things would never be like they had been at the beginning. So David was having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He then goes to Samuel. And Samuel had been the one who had anointed him four or five years earlier, and he's thinking, surely the great judge of Israel will be able to help me. And he goes to him, and he tells him everything that Saul had done. The only problem is Samuel's very, very old. Have you ever had a mentor? A mentor who, who had meant so much to you, and, and I mean, you'd sat there, and they had trained you, and they had taught you, and, and all at once one day, after many, many years, you go back to see them, and you realize that they're only a shell of the person they had been because of what age does to all of us. So David goes to Samuel. The only problem is Samuel is so old, there's nothing Samuel can do. And one of the things that amazes me is you go from 19 to 25 again and notice what the text says. Now Samuel died. While David is on the run for his life, what happens? His mentor dies. And guess what? All Israel assembled and mourned for him. All Israel except the one person who meant more to Samuel than anyone else, David. David can't even go to his own mentor's funeral. David was having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He then, of course, after separation from Saul, goes to Jonathan, his best friend, Saul's oldest son. And you get there in the text and notice, after the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone, bowed down before Jonathan. This is the next to the last time they had seen each other. And notice, with his face to the ground, then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Have you ever lost a good friend? Have you ever had to say goodbye knowing that you might not see them ever again? I have. Several years ago, I lost one of the best friends I I had in the world. June called me to let me know he'd been killed in an accident. I was at the church building. It was a Sunday afternoon. And as she said those words to me, I literally crumpled to the floor and began weeping. And I wept that day and the next day and the next day and the next day. I believe I wept every day for months and months and months. Losing someone that close to you is hard. David wept. They would get together one more time. Notice in the text here, this is chapter 23 this time. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. In other words, David is down in the area of Horish, and Saul's got his troops, and they're hunting him down. And notice what the text says. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. 
Here's the dad hunting him. Here's the firstborn son strengthening him. And Jonathan says something that is just absolutely heartbreaking. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you know your time with someone is not long. And you're sitting there and you're trying to encourage them and you're, you're going back in time and saying, you know, one of these days, you know, when everything clears up, we're going to be back together again. We're going to have our family together again and everything's going to be great even though you know that day will never come. Jonathan says to him, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. This is Jonathan, y'all. Listen to him. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. He's second to his dad, but he knows, I'm going to be second to you. You're my best friend, and I'm going to be there supporting you. And says, even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. We know from history that that never happened. Jonathan would die in the battle with his own father when Saul was was finally killed. But at least they dreamed a little dream. David was having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And then after the separation from Jonathan, you have the killing of the priest that we mentioned a moment ago. Kill, you turn and strike down the priest, so Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men. All with the exception of one who came to to David. And and David says to Abiathar, that day when Doeg the Enamite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I'm responsible for the death of your whole family. Once again, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And now David's stuck. What do you do when every leg that holds you up has been cut out from under you? Where do you go? Jonathan's gone. Your wife's gone. Your your country's gone. The priests are gone. I mean, your life is crumbling in. Where in the world do you go? You ever had a day like that? Maybe not that bad, but I suspect all of us have felt it. And at that point, David makes a decision. What do you do when you run out of options? And in this particular case, he made a poor one. David comes up with this idea, I tell you what, the only way I'm going to save my life is that if I run from Saul to a place that he can't find me. And I want you to notice where he goes. Look in the text. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. You see... Achish, king of Gath, is a Philistine commander, king. They had basically five cities of the Philistines that were kind of, each one kind of a capital in and of itself. And so he goes to Gath of all places. Now, I don't know if you remember about Gath. Gath is where Goliath is from. He goes to Goliath's hometown. And even worse, if you read back in the text, guess what he's got strapped on his side? He's got Goliath's sword. Now you say, what in the world was David thinking to go to, of all places, Gath, the enemy capital, with Goliath's sword strapped to your side? David, what are you thinking? And the answer is, he's not thinking. That's the problem. So he gets there, and you want to talk about a 
terrible, horrible, you know, no good, very bad day. Now he has it. What do you do when you run out of options? You make poor decisions. That's what you do. And that's what David did. And notice when he gets there, the people in the, in the city of Gath looks and they said, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't this the guy who killed Goliath? Isn't that Goliath's sword on his side? I mean, no, they didn't have wanted posters back then. If they had, David would have been the number one on the Philistine post office, okay? But they didn't have that. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have instant access. And guess what? Everybody back then, at least all the men, they wore big beards. I don't know, have you noticed lately that with these masks on, if you meet someone in, in Walmart or Kroger or Publix or wherever, that you're sitting there looking at people going, is that who I think it is or is it not? I, if you haven't experienced that, you haven't been out enough. Because I've walked through aisles thinking, okay, I'm just not sure if that's, is that somebody at church? You know, and I look, and I'm, I'm afraid to say anything just in case I do. They drop the mask down, and I go, nope, not them, you know. And I'm sure people are thinking the same thing about me. And, of course, if all of us guys came in here with beards on, you know, with the exception of those of us who are turning gray, most of us would probably say, uh, yeah, I think that's so-and-so. You know, it's kind of hard when you all have hair, beard, you know. And that was kind of the case here. And yet they had seen David enough in battle, and they had seen Goliath's sword, that they know who it is. And so now what does he do? Now he's stuck. You see, what do you do in Gath if you catch the military commander who had killed your great warrior? What do you do to him? And the answer is very simple. You string him up. You take the sword he's carrying and you chop his own head off. You chopped off Goliath's head, let us chop off your head. And David now is thinking, oh no. And notice, isn't this the one they sing about in their dances? You see, it's one thing when a song is bothering King Saul, but even the Philistines knew this song. I mean, they had heard it play over the Israelite radio stations. And so here they are, and they're like, listen, this is the guy that that song so popular up in the hills is all about. And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. In other words, if he had been Alexander, he would have said, you know what, I think I want to move to Australia. By the way, if you don't notice, first time in the text David's ever been afraid that we're told. But now he's afraid. He's in Gath. He's surrounded by military people. Yeah, he's got a sword on him. But what's one sword against all of these troops that have him surrounded? And so what do you do? What would you do? I mean, if you found yourself in that situation, what would you do? Watch what the text says David did. He altered his behavior in their presence. I mean, immediately, and different translations translate this a different way. This is uh, the New English uh, translation in this particular example. But he altered his behavior. He changed his appearance. David realized, if I'm going to get out of this mess, I have got to do something crazy. And something crazy he did. New American Standard Version says, so he disguised his sanity 
while in their sight. Now, if you disguise your sanity, what do you disguise it with? And, of course, the answer is insanity. You act like you're crazy. And what's interesting, that's exactly what David did. Notice some of the things it says. This is Psalm 56. Psalm 56 is is the other psalm written about this particular story. And notice, for the director of music to the tune of a dove on distant oaks. Sometimes, Blake, I want you to lead a song with that tune. Okay, Amazing Grace to that tune. Of David of Mictom, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. And one of the things you find in Psalm 56 is that Psalm 56 describes how David felt at this moment. Notice the words. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long in their pride. Many are attacking me. I mean, God, I am literally surrounded. So when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In other words, he basically says, God, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to do my part, but God, you're going to have to step in and do your part. And then in verse 12, he says, I am under vows to you, my God. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean you're under vows to him? Have you ever found yourself in a situation and so you make promises to God? If you haven't, you're you're very strange because most of us have. God, get me out of this situation, and you know what? I'll attend faithfully Sunday morning, Sunday night. You know, I'll come to Sunday school. I'll even come sometimes on Wednesday nights. You know, we make those vows. You know, God, if you'll just let me do this, I'll go back to college. I'll become a preacher, you know. I'll even teach fifth grade class at church. You know, I don't know if you've ever taught fifth graders at church. If you're a fifth grader, boy, you're the most wonderful people to teach in the world. Okay, I hope you all saw that. All right, I'm under my vows. You see, he made a promise to God. And so notice what he does. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a man-man. I I don't know what he did. Again, go back to that face we saw of the actor a while ago. You can just kind of see his eyes. All of us can act crazy if we have to. You know, I've oftentimes heard the story, if you ever get pulled over by a police officer and you want to get out of it, when he comes up asking you for your driver's license, just look at him and say, okay, but whatever you do, don't look in the trunk. You know, I mean, just do that. You know, and they'll forget while he pulled you over. You know, and and I can just see David doing that. He starts acting like a man-man. Starts making marks on the doors of the gates. Now, I don't know how you do that. I don't know if you take your fingernails and you just start scratching on the doors of the gates. And, and of course, people are looking at you going, what in the world is he doing? And then the one that I love the most, and letting saliva run down his beard. I mean, come on, face it. You start spitting up, just spit all over the place, and it's running down your face. You're starting to think, okay, this guy's got rabies. I mean, whatever is going on, I don't want to catch it. And it's at this point that his trust in God pays off. Achish looks at him and says, Don't I have enough madmen here at Gath? You're bringing me another? Get him out of here. And evidently they drug David outside the city. I can't believe that he kept Goliath's sword, but they drug him outside the city. They threw him out, and he was able to escape. And I love 
his final words. I will now present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Now I want you to notice two incredible things here. He had stumbled. David had made a horrible decision. But you know what? What we need to remember as Christians is this. When you're having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, God's still there with you. Even when you make bad decisions, God is still there with you. Now, I'm not talking about sinful behavior. David going to Gath wasn't a sin. It was just a bad, foolish decision. But you know what? God even works through our sins. You think of Peter's terrible decision to deny the Lord three times. And what did Jesus do? He took that and he restored him and he made him into the most powerful apostle as the church began on the day of Pentecost. I mean, what a man of God he was. And that's the promise we have of God today. And so I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what terrible, horrible, no good, very bad things are happening to you. But I know the only one that can make a difference in our lives, and that's God. And I hope, like David, that we'll all turn to him and put our trust in him. The invitation of God is always available. So anytime you have a need, please let me know, let any of our elders know. We'll be glad to assist you in your walk with God. If you would, let's pray, and then we're going to sing that last song one more time. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful story of David. Story, Father, that when we get to the end of our ropes, when, Father, we're at our wit's end, that, God, you're always still there. And, and that, Father, as long as we put our trust in you, we know that there will be delivery that will come. Now, Father, it may be in this life, it may be in the next life, but, Father, we know that you're always there for us, and for that we simply say thank you. Let's please stand as we sing this last song.